We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. And welcome back to Hardline on this Sunday. Uh, the, uh, the first Sunday in June, it's June 7th, and our country is in a state of chaos, and it's so heartbreaking to see what's happening in our country and in our city. And uh, Joe and I have been talking to uh, different uh, folks who have been on the scene, like our Tim Wenger. We've talked with uh, Mike Baggerman and Brendan Keeney in previous shows. A little later this half hour, we'll talk with Dave Graber, who's uh, been working for Channel 4 for a while now and has um, his own perspective on what's happening here in Western New York. But first, you know, I want to give my thoughts about what's been going on and how heartbroken I feel about what's happening in uh, in the world, frankly. I was sickened to see three local police officers and troopers run down on Bailey Avenue a few days ago. I was sickened by the reports of police officers being attacked and assassinated. Uh, I was sickened to hear about a New York City officer who was stabbed in the neck when he was on patrol in Brooklyn. But I was also sickened by Derek Chauvin's knee on George Floyd's neck. And I was also sickened by Martin Gugino being pushed back and having his skull cracked open. Uh, there's, there's just too much, too much going on. And neither of those guys, George Floyd or Martin Gugino, uh, are you know saints by any means, especially Floyd, who had a long arrest record. And Gugino was an agitator and a peace activist and had a lot of really uh, nasty things to say about the police on his Twitter feed. But it doesn't negate the fact, in my mind, that excessive force was used, obviously, in the case of George Floyd. There's no denying that. I mean, the man is dead. Uh, and a very serious injury sustained by Martin Gugino. So I think excessive force is really the issue. It's more about brutality than anything else at this point. Not necessarily uh, so much about racism, but more so about brutality. And we've got to figure out a way to get past this. So I just wanted to put my two cents in there and see what you think about that. And uh, Joe and I certainly have our opinion and, uh, opinions, and we welcome your feedback, whether it's via text at 716 8030930 or on the phone at that same number. Joe? Yeah, you know, Brenda, I, I will agree with you. George Floyd should be alive today. There was no reason for what that cop did. Uh, George Floyd was unarmed. He was not resisting. Uh, there was no reason for that that officer to put his knee on his neck for almost nine minutes. Uh, no excuse whatsoever. And I hope all those officers are charged to the fullest in Minneapolis. Uh, I, I do have a different opinion on what happened here. Now, again, I wasn't there. I have seen a video. Right. Uh, from that video, I see a man charging, not charging, walking toward police officers as they are trying to clear the scene. Um, so personally, uh, I, I think some of the blame does have to go 
to the gentleman who is walking toward a police officer and what looks in the video to be making a gesture toward one of the police officers. That is how I see it. It wasn't the smartest thing for for Gugino to do that, Joe. There's no question about it. And it looked like he was motioning towards the steps of City Hall or motioning towards where the officer's gun belt is. I mean, you can interpret it in many different ways. But given the fact that you've got this old guy who looks, you know, fairly fragile, I think that just simply turning him around or perhaps just kind of guiding him by the shoulder would have made a lot more sense. And we'd be avoiding the fact uh, that we're reporting on two Buffalo police officers being arraigned. I mean, to see these pictures of these officers being arraigned is, is really sad. And what a way for their careers to go. And, and now what a blot on the Buffalo police, whether you agree with what the police officers did or didn't, it's put us in the spotlight in a way that none of us would want, and certainly not the way I would want to see our city portrayed. I mean, you've got, we were talking about the pandemic, you've got Buffalo all over the international news. And uh, as we talked about earlier, and the first hour, Joe, with Tim Wenger, you know, uh, it was so exciting to see the, the progress the city has made and the attention that we're getting for things that are that are valuable and real in our community and that are uniquely Buffalo, our architecture, our food, all of those things. And now it's turned so ugly. Well, and uh, I hate to see every police officer painted with the same brush. And I think that's that's my fear, too. I think this is going to only uh, going to only create more division among the community uh, and the police in Buffalo. I do agree that in those three seconds, better decisions could have been made not only by the officers, but also by uh, Mr. Gugino as well. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I agree with you, Brenda, not the light Buffalo wanted to be in on a national stage, regardless of where you stand. Uh, Absolutely. Now, a person who has been there all week, I think maybe the, the entire two weeks, is Channel 4's Dave Graber, and he joins us live on Hardline. Dave, good morning. Beamer, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Dave. How are you this morning? I am okay. Maybe uh, enjoying a day off. Hopefully it stays that way. Well, <laughs> I, I'm sorry you had to join us for a few minutes on your day off. Um, Love it. Love it. Now, let me ask. You were there the night before, which I believe would have been Wednesday night, when we saw the protesters and the police uh, take a knee in solidarity, it really seemed like the, the tensions were gone and we were getting to a good place, a good relationship between protesters and police. Yeah, I mean, I was there Saturday when things really erupted and then again kind of throughout the week. Uh, and that was an image that you, you wanted to see. You wanted to see something like that come out of this, especially after Saturday. Um, but, uh, you know, alas, that, that, that didn't last. And it just sort of started things up. I, I will, however, say, you know, over the past two days, uh, the protests down there have been very mild. I mean, I was there last night. Uh, I came in and worked. Um, and a couple of the groups had organized a massive protest that was well-organized, well-attended. Thousands of people were down at Niagara Square. They marched from the square down to the holding center and the sheriff's office uh, and back and pretty much dispersed around 8 o'clock. There were a handful of stragglers, you know, a couple of dozen folks who were hanging around after that. Uh, police made the decision not to enforce the curfew, just as they had done the night before. And just as what happened the night before, uh, those folks left on their own accord kind of in the, in the middle of the night. You know, Dave, I was uh, riveted by your coverage the night the, uh, that Cortland Renford, who has since been arrested for throwing that flaming uh, object into the City Hall window, 
um, that when that all occurred, and your coverage really captured that. I mean, I was watching you as you were, you know, going through this, and I understand that your photographer was injured. What uh, what happened that night, and and how is he or she doing? Sure, Dan Holland was covering the protests earlier um, as things kind of started to to, to bubble up. Uh, that was before I got down there, and then I had already worked. Um, I had already anchored the, the wake up show that day, and then. Uh, went in later that night, and it was he was walking up. I believe I believe it was Delaware Avenue, um, and kind of in the midst of it all, uh, as police and some of the protesters were were clashing. Um, and we actually our cameras caught it because he was rolling, and I think we were streaming it on our website at the time. Uh, but a guy kind of walked up to him, and just because he had his camera pointed toward the action, kind of smacked him in the head. Um, he, he wasn't hurt. I think he was more than anything stunned. Uh, but it was a pretty good whack. I mean, it, it knocked his camera kind of off his shoulder. And, um, you know, I, I think he was he was stunned because when I got down there later that night, I said, you know, how's, how's it been going? He says, well, not not great. I actually got hit. And, and then he showed me the, the, the footage. And it's, it's sort of surprising. I, I mean, it's a lot like, because I was on Bailey Avenue Monday night. Um, and, you know, Similar to sort of Saturday, as, as my coverage was unfolding and we were on air live for probably 45 minutes straight. And, and, and just as you were talking about kind of walking folks through um, all that was happening live as, as it was happening, you know, you get sort of caught in a crossfire sometimes because you've got protesters that move and you've got police lines that move. On Bailey Avenue, it was it was similar. We were trying to get to a position, my photographer and I, and we were you know getting caught in the crossfire. And, and I think that was sort of to be expected because we were trying to get to a, a safe vantage point where we could see and hear both the protesters and and police. Um, and I used the word protesters in that situation on Bailey Avenue very very loosely. Um, but you get caught in the crossfire. That's sort of to be expected. You get kind of pushed around in a, in, in a crowd. That's, that's sort of to be expected, especially in a large crowd situation where there's a lot of emotion uh, running high. Um, but on Monday night, when we were trying to leave because we were being overcome by tear gas and, and it was just it was too dangerous, we were walking up to the police line. And, you know, police at that point, this was less than a half hour after three officers had been run over, two, two state troopers and a Buffalo police officer by that SUV. And so tensions were even higher. Uh, they, they perhaps couldn't have been higher. So police at that point were firing at anything that moved. Though we were advancing on the line with our credentials out, our camera rolling, um, you know, trying to say, can we get across? Can you hold your fire? Or can we cross behind you? Three officers turned directly at us and fired at us repeatedly. So it wasn't, and, and you know, we were hit with these with these pepper balls, which are kind of like um, paintballs filled with like a a, a, a capsaicin agent. Um, and it wasn't that it hurt. I've been hit with paintballs before. I, I I really enjoy playing paintball. It was very much the mental aspect of that being targeted and being fired upon. So I think a lot of what Dan experienced then wasn't so much that he was hurt, but he was clearly targeted by someone who not only made physical contact with him but who intended to hit him in the head and it kind of stunned him. So I don't think it was more of I don't think it was an injury so much as it was just the stun of, of being, um, you know, 
hit, targeted and, and hit. So it was, it was very similar to that on, on Monday on Bailey Avenue. Dave, I know you've worked at other markets, Binghamton in Ohio, you've worked in California, Pennsylvania. Where does this rank among all the stories you've covered, uh, both the Bailey Avenue uh, situation and what you saw around City Hall? Where does that rank in your career? Uh, you know, it, it, this is one of the only times I've ever been involved in a situation like this. Um, certainly, Bailey Avenue was it, it was comparable to a war zone. Um, there, there's no doubt, no doubt about that. There was a lot going on, and it was it was very. I, I would say it, it was dangerous, even though we were trying to get ourselves out of danger. Um, you know, we thought we were in a safe position, and it turns out because these situations are so fluid that even if you imagine where you are going to be is going to be safe, it could change in an instant, and that and that's exactly what happened. That's why we had to get the heck out of there. I've only been in another, one other situation like this. Uh, in college, I was the editor of uh, the newspaper in, at Miami University, and we had a connection to a situation, I believe it was in 2000, I think it was 2000 or 2001, when an unarmed black teen was shot and killed by a white police officer in Cincinnati. There was a connection to that officer and his father with the Oxford Police Department, and so we decided to go down and, and cover it from that perspective. And what, what I did at that point, I was by myself, so I was shooting and, and, and reporting. Um, I, I kind of embedded myself with one of the, the, the church groups that was trying to, to kind of quell the violence that had happened. And it was only about a day or so old, but then, you know, unrest erupted, riots erupted in Cincinnati for, for several days. And so that first night when we were embedded there, um, we were walking through a, a park in the city's over the Rhine neighborhood, um, which is, is is not a good neighborhood. And there were no police around, but the residents who were living there, uh, it's a violent area anyway, uh, they fired at us with real guns. And um, that was a situation where I definitely felt, for the first time in my career, but of course I was, I was very young, probably 21 or 22, um, that my life was in danger for, for, for what I was doing. So that's the only other time that, that I felt uh, that, that, that I was sort of threatened. Um, but it's in those times that as a journalist, you, you have to be hyper-focused, um, and experience really counts in, in those situations. So while things were pretty tenuous on Saturday, I did not feel at really any point that my life was, was in danger. Um, barely avenue on monday was was a different story i think you know david it was very compelling to watch um and not only do you have to be hyper vigilant and focused but you also have to keep talking and uh you know have a coherent train of thought going on you're talking back to uh, your anchor in the studio you probably have a producer in your ear it's uh it's a lot of things to juggle and you're physically moving as well so um not an easy gig um, I do want to shift gears a little bit and ask you about uh, the availability of the city and county officials. Uh, how do you feel that Mark Polencars and Byron Brown and others in positions of authority have, um, have presented themselves? It looks like they're very accessible, and I give them an A-plus for that. Uh, what's your view on the accessibility to people in power here? Yeah, I, I mean, I, listen, I, I've been here now for a little over five years, and during that time, I, especially starting off as a reporter um, and as an MMJ, someone who worked by themselves, I worked extremely hard to, to get contacts um, and to work those sources and, and get to know these people. 
And I think that particularly over the past couple of years, the accessibility of local officials has been good. Now, it's, it's good for me because I have these sources. I know these people. I, they trust me. I trust them. Um, and so accessibility for me is, is, is not generally a problem. But that's because I think of the effort that I put forth. And I also think that it's a genuine effort on behalf of those officials to be accessible. Um, you know, on, on Saturday, Saturday was a good example. And really, the, the, the days that followed that were good examples as well. I mean, you know, Byron Brown was, I think he had one or two press conferences or press availabilities on, on Saturday. The same was true on, I think, on Sunday, the, that, that following day. There were press availabilities on Monday, on Tuesday, after everything that happened on, on Bailey Avenue. So I think that, you know, and we have to cover all of those courts. And, and, and oftentimes we cover them and stream them live on air, if not um, certainly on, on the website. So I, I have not had a problem with, with accessibility. I, I know a lot has been said, particularly over the past couple of days after Mr., uh, after the incident with Martin Gugino, you know, about the messages that came out early saying that he tripped and fell and then that, that, that record was, was corrected. I know a lot has been said about that, but at that time I didn't have a problem. I didn't have a problem getting the information as to what actually happened early. But I th- again, I think that is that, that that lends itself to not only my efforts in sourcing, but but also the accessibility of, of local officials. Uh, Dave, yesterday we saw when everyone was in front of the police, I'm sorry, the Erie County Courthouse awaiting the arraignment, we saw all these attempts to block the front door. We had an umbrella at one point, uh, something that looked like a big blanket. Have you ever seen the attempts like that, to that extent, to block every single media outlet from seeing the front doors of the entrance or the exit of a court building? I have been in situations where that has been the case. But in every single situation, the people who were doing that were not police officers and firefighters. Maybe family members of someone who was arrested uh, or someone who was wrongly arrested or, or something of, of, of that, that nature. I've never seen a situation where you have Buffalo police officers and Buffalo firefighters working to shield, literally shield, the public from a public proceeding. Um, I understand why they did it. The fact that they did it is not okay. We are often given opportunities and information about perp walks for people who um, are going back and forth to court, right? So a person is arrested and they have to walk them into court for an arraignment. We are often given information by law enforcement or others to shoot that, that kind of an interaction. But the fact that they were upset with what happened, and I get it, I get it, tensions were high, and they still are. And one of their coworkers, one of their brothers, they believed was wrongly charged with a crime, two of them. So I understand that they were upset, but their qualms cannot be with the media. Right. Their qualms can be with the district attorney or the ADAs or the city and their response, something to that effect. But disrupting us from doing our jobs is not the right approach. And I think in a situation, especially now, the reason we are here at this place is because 
the murder of George Floyd was caught on camera, shielding the public from more of what's happening in our community is not going to help the situation. It is only going to harm it. So that was, for me, frustrating and disturbing. Well said, Dave, and a very interesting perspective from somebody who's been in the midst of it. Dave Graber, thank you so much for taking time off uh, or taking time on your day off, and we very much appreciate your yeah, insight. Dave, get some sleep. <laughs> I will at some point. i got to be up at 2.30 tomorrow. All oh, right. Boy. We'll look for you <laughs> thanks then. Thanks Dave. All right, guys, thanks. Channel 4's Dave Graber joining us. We have a half hour to go, and Brenda, I think we'll take some calls when we come back. That sounds good, uh, Joe. And by the way, I'm, I'm uh, broadcasting yet again from home, so hopefully you can hear me well enough, and I very much appreciate your calls. And Joe, uh, looking forward to hearing what people think about what Tim Wanker said. Did the curfew work? And also, Dave Graber's very strong comments just now about how wrong it is to shield uh, the two officers from the media. What do you think? 803-0930, back after this? Yes, back after this, and uh, I, I may throw in some uh, some commentary as well. We're back after news. Welcome back to... We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy with you until noon. And I just want to give... Uh, a little commentary, like 30 seconds. It's something I said to Kevin Hardwick, I'm sorry, to Dr. Kevin Hardwick, and something I'd like to just throw out there. You know, yes, in 2020, with social media and the tense politics we have, we're going to have debates, right? You're going to have people you disagree with their political angle. The one thing we shouldn't have a debate over, the one thing we should all agree on is that in 2020, there should be no racism in America. And that is a conversation that we are going to have to have. But unfortunately, because of politics and because of everything turns into a left-right debate, this has become political and we're not having the conversation, yes, the uncomfortable for some conversation that we have to have. We have to put an end to any kind of racism in America. We have to do that. We can't have police officers abusing their authority. We can't have police officers putting their knee on the neck of an unarmed man for however long. That's, that's unacceptable in something that should be addressed 100%. We should not be having debates over that. We should have the conversation we should give this topic 
as much time as it needs. But with just like everything, we've turned this now into politics and we're ignoring, like I said, the conversation we need to have. And I just wanted well, Joe, to throw, uh, throw that out there. Joe, how much of that has to do with filling a 24-7 news cycle? Uh, we all work in a different media environment than we did even, say, 10 years ago. And so it's easy to politicize things when you have to always talk about things. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, if there's any good to come of this situation with the police officers and the murder of George Floyd and the horrible situation that happened in Buffalo where three law enforcement uh, uh, gentlemen were hit by a runaway SUV. I mean, it, there, there's tragedy on all sides of the issue. Maybe this will help us open up the dialogue of which you speak because it clearly needs to be opened up. Uh, there is so much rancor in, in society among groups, whether it's Democrats and Republicans, liberals, conservatives, black, white, uh, any other groups. It, the only thing that will help us shine a light on this is conversation and education. And maybe there's a little sliver of a silver lining that will happen because of what's been going on in our world. You know, the one thing about the pandemic that you and I talked about a lot, Joe, was how it affected everybody. You know, it didn't matter. Everybody was affected. There was a higher rate of um, cases and diagnoses uh, in the African-American community. But everybody was affected by the pandemic. It didn't matter whether it was a Dem or a Republican. It didn't matter if you were conservative or liberal or moderate or whatever you might position yourself as. We were all affected by this pandemic. And so in a sense, I see our, our society being in a pandemic of racism and bigotry. And we, we've got to get a handle on this. I mean, things are out of control and volatile and it's got to come under some measure of control. You know, I've got issues with Andrew Cuomo, like many of our listeners do, Joe, but when he would talk about it's not, not red or blue, it's red, white, and blue. I have to agree with that assessment. We've got to come together as a country and figure out ways to coexist. With, with the governor, he says one thing and then spends the rest of his uh, mid-morning talk show just criticizing Republicans. But but I digress. I digress. And but, my, but you see my big point. Do, no, right? I, I do see your point. I do see your point. But you did bring up the governor. So, of course, I have to say this, Brenda. Uh, I think it's time for those daily press conferences to be to be done. They're not yeah, really necessary I, I anymore. Or at least to what Mark Polenkars did, which was do, you know, Monday, Wednesday, or Friday or reduce it somewhat. Because really, it seems like we've got to handle, thankfully, New York State. Uh, until the next outbreak of uh, hospitalizations, the number of cases going down, and ICU cases, and so forth. So th the time has come, I think, for Andrew Cuomo to, to get off his soapbox, uh, because I think it has turned into that now, and, and it, it isn't fair. That's not what we're looking to hear. We want to hear about the pandemic. All right, and we're uh, going to take calls in order, Brenda. And, you know, let's start with someone who I know will have issue with something I said, but always one of our top callers on Sundays. It's Tony and Clarence. Tony, good morning. Yes, good morning. And I'm glad you're both there today. I'd like to make four points, and I hope you listen carefully. Statistically, five, five law enforcement officers have been convicted of murder in the last 20 years. Policemen don't get charged and convicted with murder Unless it's black and white, you can't change that. The, the Department of Labor on Friday miscalculated the unemployment rate. 
They revised that rate. The rate now is 16.9%, and the blacks have the highest unemployment rate in their history. Arizona is a western state. It is having a terrible time with new cases. Every every week it seems like we're losing a 1,000 people, and nobody cares. Now, the president decided to use the Army for police duties. It is illegal, according to Mark Esper, the Secretary of Defense, who went on television and disagreed with the president. You don't use Black Hawk copters to disperse the crowd or other things of that nature. Those people in Washington had a, a right to protest. By the way, the president got his wall an eight-foot fence that surrounds the embattled White House. I'm sorry, this man has no empathy for those people that have been killed in the pandemic, nor much empathy for Floyd. Thank you. Well, no, Tony, to, to, your, to, to, your, to your last point, um, I think it's a difficult argument to make that the president doesn't have any empathy for the pandemic when you have leaders mostly on the left side of the aisle, going through these protests where there are thousands of people, the same ones that are telling you, you must stay home or you'll spread the the virus. That's nothing to do with the idea of having having police duties. Uh, An army that I was been part of, we were never going to be policemen in front of a White House or any house. Using Black Hawk helicopters and all kinds of bombs of all kinds that they brought down on that crowd was a sin. By the way, the president also held the Bible upside down. You know, Tony, I thought that photo op was ill-advised on the president's part. He just stood there and it, <laughs> it, it just looked foolish. He made himself look foolish by doing that. And the resources needed to uh, clear out that crowd with pepper balls and, and gas uh, could have been used elsewhere. I, I thought it was really an ill-advised move on the president's part. I also thought it was ill-advised for him to talk about George Floyd having a great day looking down uh, on the unemployment records that he was touting the other day. Sometimes, you know, the president is, is, makes a lot of silly mistakes in an attempt to make himself look good. Um, you know, the old saying, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. He wants to show progress, in, or what he views as progress, and yet at the same time, he ends up putting his foot in, the, in his mouth again. So I wish he would, uh, he would just take a step back and think about what he's doing and saying. Well, and I would say this, uh, Esper never said it was illegal. He said that he does not agree with the necessity the president pointed out. And the president did not go ahead and use military. He used the National Guard, but he did not use, he did not send military around the country as was discussed. Also on the George Floyd comment, I think the quote was taken out of context. Um, and number three, if you watch the scene in front of the White House two weeks ago, I believe it was on a Friday night when their goal was to was to get on the White House lawn, I think you would have used every Thing you can to either calm down the crowd or get them as far away from the White House as you can. You can't just have people charging charging the White House. I don't care right. how big the fence is. 
You know what, Joe? I agree. It was a frightening scene. And I happened to be in Washington a year ago, May, and we walked by the White House. And I, I remember remarking to the person I was with, saying, oh, I, you know, how sad that you can't get any closer because it's so fenced off. Now it's, it's even more important for it to be like that. I have no quarrel with that. But I just think that, that the president could use his time, you know, more efficiently and not worry about photo ops uh, well, standing in front of a, a church with an upside down Bible. You're not you're not going to get me uh, to completely defend the president's uh, walk to the to the church. But I will say this. Every politician has a photo op. And there was a, of course, a way of they got there. And I'm sure there was someone uh, that there was someone that missed out on something because of that photo op. Uh, I thought it was very rich for Nancy Pelosi to talk about the president's photo op and then read from the Bible. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought that was kind of hypocrisy yeah, at its was, best. I thought, I thought her, her situation was, was ridiculous too, Joe. I'm not defending Nancy Pelosi. No. Or the Democrats here. I thought, yeah, they were both. It's almost like they're blind to the optics of this. Um, and, and somebody just texted in about, uh, you know, it took issue with what I said about the president and George Floyd with unemployment. My point is, why would you even bring George Floyd's name up in that context? Leave him out of it. There's no reason to talk about George Floyd when you're talking about unemployment numbers and whether it's a good day, you know. I, I just thought it was totally inappropriate for the president to insert that at that point. Brenda, let me ask you this. Do you, do you think saying the unemployment is all on Trump? Because you're starting to see this now, especially from the Biden campaign, say, you know, look at these unemployment numbers and, and attribute them to Trump. But he only has so much control over the states that, like us, are not even most of the state, not even in phase one yet. You can't really attribute those unemployment numbers to his presidency. No, I, I agree. I mean, the numbers, I think, are kind of skewed, obviously, because of the situation. So <laughs> I think, you know, to bring numbers up right now is almost um, kind of a fool's errand. Yeah, I agree. Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Carl in Hamburg, who's been holding on for a while. Carl, the floor is yours. Thank you, Linda, Joe, and everybody else. Um, I, I know we can agree to disagree, and that's what makes us all, you know, one big, huge community. I'm going to sidebar this a little bit. Um, what has happened is tragic, yes, and what is happening is disgusting, and I really totally agree. Our problem, and being in business, okay, as a small businessman, our problem out there, folks, is, one, the parents have lost control of their children, so we can't educate them properly and teach them right from wrong and give them family value. Number two, what's going on out there is our political leaders, okay, have not walked amongst us. They don't know what's going on out there, to be, to be truthful. Everything that's going on has a cause and effect. And what's not being talked about is why are our communities, whether they're in the city or outside the city, why are they in a depressed situation? And it's easy to look at it. The money that comes in is formulated through groups of different people because they are chomping at the bit because they want something good for their group or their, their broker or their corporation or whatever. I understand that. My question is, is when you build, I should say question, but what I'm trying to say is when you build a home or a building, you have to build a foundation. 
city of Buffalo and even across the nation, we have not done that. We have started at the top and we worked down and we we're not even there at the foundation. The foundation is what supports everything. And this is our problem. Our political leaders, whether it's Byron Brown or the governor, they have totally, totally just stopped talking to the people and gone with people that they think are experts or they think they know what they're doing. And to be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, they really don't know because they haven't walked amongst Joe America. We are the ones that are trying to support everything, but we can't because they are disadvantaging certain communities. I work in those communities, and I will tell you right now, there are good people in there, and I love them all. I have no problem with, my, with the people that I deal with. But, again, the foundation to our communities has not been built. It's not even started. They don't know what's going on. When we have money coming in, like this Buffalo Billion, it disappears. Where's the money? We need, as you guys as journalists and talk show people, you need to ask these politicians what is going on with the foundation, the money that we're supposed to be getting to help these communities? It's not happening. Our, everything is going, well, if you want to call it the hell in a handbag, but everything is going off to the side. We have too many people involved, okay, in the distribution of money. I'm not saying share the wealth. What I'm trying to say is start at the bottom and work your way up, and that's not being done. So every community, whether it's in Erie County, New York State, or even the city of Buffalo, some towns, some cities, et cetera, are being denied those opportunities, okay? It's, 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 it's getting disgusting, and I think it's going to take the next step, okay, is that we're going to have to go and say, look, at, you know, if you're not doing the job, Mr. Mayor, you're going to have to step down. The people need to discuss this matter with him. The politicians get voted in on behalf of the people, okay? They're voted in uh, to do the bidding of the people. They're not voted in to go, you know, slap each other in the face and say, you're a bad politician, you're a bad Republican, you're a bad whatever. No, they're in there to do the bidding of all the people, and they're not doing that. The problem that exists, I would say right now, our political leaders are deaf to our needs, um, and our communities and our political leaders need to step up the plate and find out what's going on. Defunding police departments is not going to help. It's going to shift money into somewhere else, and they're not going to see it. We need Joe America, not the billionaires who sit on these groups and go, okay, uh, we got $100 billion coming in, and uh, we're going we're gonna to distribute it the way we think it should be. No, you need to go to your neighbor. We need to go to you, Joe. We need to go to you and get you people on these committees and boards and say, hmm, you know, I don't live your lifestyle and your standard, but you know what? My community is going to need some support. You look over in some of these poorest neighborhoods. There are people there that are fixing them up, but they're fixing them up little by little because they can't afford. I'm not saying go in and build a brand new home or whatever. you got to assess block by block by block, and that's the foundation of our communities, okay? So, Carol, if I understand correctly, you're saying the, the, the uh, resources are not being allocated properly and that the politicians who are in office turn a deaf ear to the constituency. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. They are turning a deaf ear to those communities. You look at Bailey Broadway. You look at that whole section. 
you have a, a group of people, different groups of people who are trying desperately to get the, the place up to speed. But then in turn, they want to put these pet projects and pipe dreams. Look at Brian Higgins. I have a lot of respect for him because I like parks and stuff. But I think Brian Higgins went overboard with the park systems, with, with these trails. You, you, you can't even ma- they can't even maintain our parks systems and our trail systems, and they keep making all these things on behalf of just a certain group of people. Certain group of people, folks, just because one group wants it doesn't necessarily mean it's really needed or warranted at this time and in, in, in where we're going. We need to look deeper. That foundation, it's not even built yet, and we're, we can't even get the hole dug for the foundation. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I hear you, and it makes me wonder, why do the same political leaders get voted in year after year, term after term? Well, we could, we could sit back and discuss this. That's a whole laundry list in itself. The problem is, is that we have too much infighting amongst political leaders. We have too many leaders that want certain things just for themselves because, and I'm not going to, I don't want to be rude, but they have an agenda. The agenda should not be just one group. It should be for all. We the people, for the people, by the people. We need political leaders who are going to come in and walk among, get no cameras, no nothing. I think our political leaders like polling cars, Mayor Brown, um, and all these other uh, county executives, excuse me, and all these other uh, supervisors, they need to come to the smaller people, which is me. They need to come not only work with us, for not work with us, but just come see what we do. They need to walk and, and go to these people with no cameras because that's just the photo op. They need to do it on their own to, get, to really get that culture shock because you know what? I don't think any of these politicians, there might be some out there, but I don't think any of these politicians have been culture shocked yet. And I will tell you what I see out there would make your head spin. And I, I bend over backwards for my people, for everybody. You don't have a dime or two nickels to rub in. No problem. We'll catch you later on it. I don't give anybody uh, a reason to fear that they can't pay for something. And the problem is, is with our political leaders, they have created a mess with not building the foundation. We ban things. We ban things all the time. My God, you haven't banned the drug dealers. You haven't banned the gangs. You haven't banned certain things that are the necessity to keep in these neighborhoods stable. You start digging into the neighborhoods. Look what's going on in some of these neighborhoods. Some of them are under siege by certain criminal activity. We haven't gone to that step. The problem is we go to the top. We build the rough first. Then we work down. You can't do that. You start working with Joe America Okay, you start working with mainstream America. These are the people. We're the foundation, and they 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 totally they totally have disregarded us. They don't totally disregarded the people that are in need. And and you know you can throw money at this all day. Oh, mental health, um, you know, social services, and that's another agenda that needs to be talked about. The social service system is. Is broken. Well, Carl, Carl, that's something we're going to have to talk about another day. I'm sorry we're up against the end of the show. Thank you for the call. Brenda, any uh, last comments? No, I appreciate Carol's thoughtful uh, you know, monologue there. There's a lot to, to chew on, and uh, we can always get into it next week. Thanks to everybody who called and Carl, don't listen and to our guests as well. And Carl, don't be a stranger to the show. That's the first time I remember taking Carl in Hamburg. So uh, call in next week as well. And Brenda, I will talk to you next week.
Stay safe and well, Joe. Take care, everybody. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.